Hello and welcome to The Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let them have it, coach. G'day, everybody, and welcome to The Coaching Podcast. My name is Emma Doyle, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Jeff Greenwald, now, Jeff is somebody I feel like we've been two ships passing in a night at conferences and tennis congress. So I'm so excited to to chat to you, Jeff, uh, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Emma. Yeah, I'm excited to, to engage and see what we can uh, do to help some people out there, you know? Absolutely. That's what the coaching podcast is all about. Now, for those of you who don't know Jeff, he's an internationally recognized sports psychology consultant. He's the author of The Best Tennis of Your Life. Apparently, there's 50 mental strategies. We may get one or two out of him today. He's Mm. also still competes. He's a former world number one ITF um, player in the men's 35 age division. And I'm really interested in this notion and this combination of where this practice of psychotherapy for the past 20 years meets the actual mindset of a champion uh, so that we can learn one or two things in our life and to help coaches out there with their players in the areas of sports science and so much more. So Jeff, we'll get straight into it. Uh, The first question is the Vegemite question, the Australian spread. So I want to know, A, have you been to Australia and B, what's your take on Vegemite? Have you tried it? I have not. No, no. Okay. But next time I go, I I will have to do that for sure. All right. Well, in yeah. which case, I'm glad yeah. that you you've you've been to Australia and you love mm. Australia. Let's kick it off with your uh, a great coaching moment and what was a lesson. Well, yeah, I was thinking about there's so many 25 years. Uh, what to what to choose? Right. Obviously, um, one that that just seemed to um, strike me in the moment and and. Since then, I think when people hear about it, it really resonates for them. And so I, I, I will share that, which was many years ago, right when I was beca- you know, do, beginning sports psychology and, um, and and seeing kids, junior players. And this one t- player, um, he was ranked in the section here in NorCal, and um, we were working together. And he went to play this match, and he lost the first game of the match. He... Um, he wasn't even serving. So, uh, but he lost the first game, his racket, he banged his racket, like through the towel and uh, one, it's one Oh, in the first set, you know, and he went on to lose six, three, six, two, I think in the match. And we talked after, and I asked him, I said, what were you thinking after the first game? You weren't even serving. You weren't supposed to win that game really. You know, he said, well, Jeff, well, I, I, I um, thought if I lost my ranking would go down. So, yeah, okay. I said, and well, what if your ranking went down? Well, I probably wouldn't get into a good college. Okay. Yeah. I was following his thinking there. I'm like, well, and what if you didn't get into a good college? Well, I pro- I'd be homeless probably one day, you know? And he was sort of half kidding, but half not. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, we didn't even have social media really back then. It was in 97, I think. And um, the fear, the fear that uh, performers feel in, in certainly adolescent athletes, tennis players without a ton of experience and, you know, the pressure of parents and peers and 
and getting into college, you know, and cashing in on that, which that golden ticket has only become more intense and exposed on social media, et cetera. So, but that really sort of highlighted and, and uh, it really resonated for me too, because I felt that I had played in a particular way on, you know, in college on the tour, a bit safe, a bit tentative, you know, fearful of losing, always thinking about win, lose, right. That's anyway, that, so that was sort of a, a, co- a coaching moment where, you know, I helped them with perspective and we talked through that, but we sort of exposed the beast there and got to then get to get to work and um, try to focus on the things that actually would help him win. You know, so Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. It reminds me of the coaching tool of chunking. You know, what we mean by chunking is, is imagine a funnel when people chunk up, you know, he's in the first game of the first set and he's already thinking about the college scholarship that, that might happen, you know, if his UTR goes down. This is mm-hmm. such a common, this is such a common uh, story that I hear over and over again, as I'm sure you do. So just a reminder of when we chunk down instead of up right. into manageable pieces of what's within our control. Totally. You know that's that's that that can unlock the door to playing uh, fearless, which is of course your your website. Brand. Yeah, the brand. Yeah, the sort yeah, of idea that, and it's we have fear, but to be able to commit to your intentions anyway, and uh, you know it's uh, and eventually that leads to a level of confidence. Right, we will get into more of that probably in a little while, but yeah. Yeah, totally. The the fearless intentions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. What about on the flip side? Can you think of a coaching moment that didn't go well, and what was the lesson? Yeah. When I think about that, uh, I reflect on sort of the parent dynamic with with. So I, I coach parents. I coach players, athletes, um, coaches too. But this there have been a few, but this one in particular where he was saying he was really um just sort of not happy with the results of his son to date um, after maybe a month of working or something. But I find out that he's literally telling his son he sucks after he misses, loses. And he's telling him that he's not going to get into a good college and that, um, and, and yet he's, you know, expressing his, his dissatisfaction and putting pressure on his son and his son is, you know, doing all he can do. So that button, uh, you know, not good enough parents sort of living vicariously through their kids without knowing it um, or, or they do know it and they don't care, which is worse, but yeah, that, that, so, you know, I got, I got in, in, into it with him and, you know, that's only happened a few times, but that's a button that for me, when I'm coaching, a family um, and, and it, and it goes too far where there's a rigidity and there's not him showing any empathy, any perspective, any self-awareness. And so that's where I have to go in pretty hard and that's not fun. You know, most people are really receptive and want to do the right thing. They just don't know the, they don't either have the awareness or, or um, you know, a, or, or capability tools perhaps to, to mm. do manage that well, but. Yeah, absolutely. So, for coaches listening to that story who also share your you know that that situation so what would be so self-awareness empathy like how what's your top tip around how does a coach take the first step towards having that conversation 
Well, I think, um, you know, it's really easy for all of us as we're talking about to get caught up in the short term today, tomorrow, what's your UTR colleges, you know, coming down the pike and, um, tournaments coming up and everybody gets pretty hyper and, and, and we just lose perspective, you know, and the coach's opportunity, as you know, Emma, is the, the, the impact a coach can have certainly parent, but coaches can have on, on their athletes. It's, it's extraordinary for a lifetime, right? The, the, the role that coaches play, not being a parent, being um, in, in, in that space, being trusted. So to, to just keep that perspective that they're teaching life skills or teaching perform, they're teaching so much that opportunity is huge and it can be squandered. And unfortunately many do because they want to win and they want to teach their coaching because they want to teach what they can. And then they want to get the results and they get, they feel pressure to get those results just like the kids. So there's a mirroring going on, but I think the more we can, like John Wooden did and others know that if we can teach a kid to fish and not give them the fish, for example, boy, what a gift, right? Yeah. What a gift. It's so worth it. Once you can get through the pain of that, <laughs> of those courageous yeah. conversations for sure. All right. Uh, could you share with us a sliding doors moment? I'm, I'm sure, as you said, you've, you've had many years in the industry, but is there one that stands out for you? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty distinct for me. It would have been in Germany. I was, um, I played the tour for a couple of years, I worked at the ATP as well and marketing. Um, but I, I met a woman in Florida and she happened to know a coach in a club that was, were looking for a pro, a coach. So I went and coached at a club, some highly ranked juniors then, and played for the club as well, one level in our Bundesliga. And um, so I was making money playing and coaching and uh, in, in Hamburg and learning German. It was wonderful um, two years there. And But after the first year coaching and picking up balls and sort of um, – it just didn't feel like it was quite enough of a stimulation challenge for me mentally in terms of how I'm wired. I'm really wired. I'm into in meaning what's me, what's meaningful, what's powerful, valuable. What are we doing here? How can we make the best of it? Whether you're hitting a ball or otherwise. So I was just picking up balls and I thought, you know, I, 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 I really, and I'd been thinking, I guess, but I, I think psychology would be really good for me kind of the next step, I was 26, 27. And then I thought, what about sports psychology? That would be really cool. I had been playing too, by the way, better and better being over there. I was playing just loose and free. I, I started tasting. So the, the, I think the big turn for me was tasting what it felt like to be loose and relaxed, hitting the ball. I started playing, I mean, hitting deeper, harder, winning every match I played. The people are like, geez, I didn't think they're going to have to pay me all that, you know? Cause I was really doing well. And I really, I thought, I guess the moment Emma was, wait, you can be this loose in matches. You can be like really, really ripping without holding back. And yeah, like you have control that. I said, Oh, I really need to go study this. I really need to go understand the mind body. So that's where I moved back to, to, the Bay Area, I went to graduate school and got my clinical and sports psychology degrees and opened up a practice, got licensed as a therapist. So, you know, it's 25 years ago now. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but know, that was a big moment. That's, mm -hmm. that's, thanks for sharing that. It's also mm -hmm. sometimes a little daunting being 26 years of age and then to think now you've got to go back and 
study, you know, and I use the word back because a lot of people come to me and say, oh, you know, I'm coaching someone at the moment and this person's, you know, th- low 30s. And I'm like, well, you do realize that your generation can have up to 13 different careers, not jobs. <laughs> so if you no, want to no. go back and study, like go for it. Like, oh, that, you know, especially psychology, I mean, it's years of training, isn't it? Like for you at 26 yeah. to make that that choice. Totally. It really was. I mean, people, you know, my friends were buying houses and then, you know, really pretty, you know, in their jobs, I get back, I entered graduate school, I think at 29, you know, and so it was, it was a a decision and um, it wasn't easy. And a commitment, I'm sure. And there's the finance. Yeah. So um, that's, that's awesome. And for those Mm -hmm. listening, if if you're wondering like, there's got to be something more or how can you even supplement your coaching or, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's, this whole process of just being in a, a learner for the rest of our lives. We, the more we the, can consume, the more opportunities we can have. So keep searching for meaning. If you're mm, listening to this mm, podcast and, and wondering, is there something more there is? So just keep peeling is. back the layers of the onion. Exactly. Yeah, there really is. It's endlessly yeah. fascinating, right? The yeah, correct. Coaching, the coaching dynamic or the, you know, performance mm. aspect. And it's not just a, access and those there's a lot a lot of nuance yeah for sure yep yep well i'm i'm excited i know you've got a book i've i've finally got one in my hands too um what makes a great coach it's our next question uh where i've put in in here 520 of you know some pretty amazing coaches and i love just still collating the data on our guiding question which is in one to a maximum of three words what do you think makes a great coach uh i think we talked to hit on it self awareness empathy and belief. Well, I think the self-awareness, if if you aren't keeping your ego in check, so being able to monitor your yourself, your your reactions, your patterns, understanding your personality and tendencies and uh with other people, how you relate to other people, how what your impact is, um, which sorts uh, overlaps, of course, with empathy, right? Um, being able to put yourself in their shoes. So what you say, what you do is being um is being received is being received in the right way you're trying uh, alternative ways to reach a particular athlete or person and um you know you're not just stuck in a in your uh, being rigid in your own view and because everybody does have different backgrounds and different personalities and different moment not to mention timing is important so i feel like uh that awareness is crucial um, again, being able to understand impact um, above and beyond your own needs, your own um, desires, which are fine if you know you you are motivated just like an athlete. Want they want you want to win? It's okay. It's great. Gets us out of bed. And but there's there's a whole lot more to the to this experience, right? So and then um, belief, belief. So if you don't believe people can do it at the end of the day, or they're not doing it. And then the tendency to try to save them or not ask enough questions, not ask, not be inquisitive and inquire enough, then you're not giving them a chance to come up with the answer too. And I think that's a massive gift to be able to sort of be so talented or, or again, aware that you can, and curious, frankly, that you can um, help an athlete introspect 
and and come and feel like they're part of the process. So it's a collaborative exercise, and I think I think that's where we can lose a, a lot huge op- uh, opportunity with coaches because there's that desire to to teach, right? It, and it can come out of a good place, passion to hey, you know, I've been through all this, I played forever, and I was in this moment, and 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 to 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 share that, and and that may or may not hit for the that or land for that that player that and so i just think um believing in in athletes and and that they can do it that they have the resources to to do it with the right approach what you just summarized there is one of the reasons why i i offer this podcast out there because that moment in my life when i realized that coaching is about unlocking the potential that lives within the person Mm-hmm. through, as you said, that collaborative process of being curious and asking questions, that was such a massive shift in my life. It is the reason that I run this podcast because mm-hmm. if I can influence or impact one coach to think about things differently from you know the chapter one in my career where I was had verbal diarrhea basically and taught nothing really, uh, even though I thought I was teaching so much. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so thank mm-hmm. you for sharing those mm-hmm. those three qualities. Uh, all right, our last official question is where we ask you to ask us a question. What's that one question that sparks your curiosity? But it's 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 the the I guess it's sort of um, revolved around the why, right? Like, and so why, you know, here you are doing this coaching podcast. You 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 realize that that you are impact is as a coach is huge and then doing a podcast about coaching it has more impact you want to make impact so what do you think in you it is in in you and in 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 what you're most curious about that that sort of drove you to to want this need this need people to know this great question so just expanding on that, I will go ahead and <laughs> probably just share it. It was born from a deep curiosity to see that when I asked questions, I was getting such a different response from the player that was sometimes different to even my map of the world. And when I accepted that, so it comes back to that self-awareness, amazing things unfolded for the player beyond sometimes what I thought was even possible for them in their life. And so it comes back to, I think, being deeply curious as to why a person does what they do. Why do they behave that way? Why why do they choose that pattern? And then asking those questions, sometimes people don't even know what they don't know. Exactly. as well. So um so thank you for posing That's that great. for us for us all to reflect on. What are your thoughts? There. Well, I think too, don't you think that people, as you, as you discovered that they're, they're kind of stunned that you're so curious, interested in them, right. That maybe you'd ask that follow-up question you know, they'd say, oh yeah, I just, uh, that's just how I play. And well, what, what, you know, how'd you get there? And um, do you like that? And are you, you know, I mean, there's really an endless amount of questions you could ask someone, frankly. And I, I thankfully am naturally curious. Like I just, I, there's not a, it just, could they keep coming the questions because there's so many, you know, we're very complex, you know, we're not just this or that. I mean, you can try to box people, but most people are, are a mix of things. And, 
and in, in conflict often, right? So, and don't know, like you said, exactly what they want. But um, that curiosity to know people, to, to know what makes them tick and have them know what makes them tick and to be humble about that because we don't have all the answers. The people, we may be able with the athlete, the person, be able to find it together. So I think curiosity is the is the is the sword we yield or wield. Yeah, it's a very powerful thing to to use and have it be become a natural, authentic thing. Mm. It's mm. really important. Yeah. Okay, I want to go to this thought that I often tell people, which is that the mind and the body is intrinsically connected. So I want to ask you, what comes first? Do I have a negative thought that then plays out in my body or do I have something going in my on in my body that then creates the negative thought or is it not one versus the other? Did that make sense? Perfect sense. Absolutely. It's, um, again, back, back to complex. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, first we have the subconscious, unconscious, right? So we bring to the table um, a particular um, need, desire, fear, et cetera, right? Uh, talking about meaning earlier, what's important to you? And so that's going to set the stage too for your day, your performance, your life, potentially. You know, what is what drives you, right? I, I guess back to the why. I became very, very deeply committed to being loose on the court after I just tasted it and I wanted that. And I genuinely intrinsically found that valuable to be loose, even if I missed. So that allowed me to continue to go for my shots. It gave me permission to miss it because I wasn't going to back off just because I missed a forehand long by two inches. Most people do. They they back off. I don't want to miss. I don't want to give a free point away. But if you can kind of manage that and be relentless and a bit stubborn about that good things happen but back to um so you have you bring to the table this sort of intentionality right um and hopefully you can mold that help players athletes with that and then so they're in a better the context is better for them now that being said thoughts are going to come up automatic negative thoughts they're going to come up and if we're not aware that thought will chain together to another thought and then another thought. And then you're go from miss losing the first game in a match to being homeless. Right. <laughs> so this, 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 you know, um, wick was going quick and, and it can, it does go quickly. It, this happens as you know, in seconds. Yeah. I'm sure people could relate. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to, if I lose this and my UTR drops and I'm going to like not get into that college, my parents can. Yeah. So so we have these thoughts. Um, when I was playing, um, I was playing uh, Francisco Clavet in the semifinals of the uh, 40 nationals a few years ago, 2018 before, was it 19 before COVID, I guess. And um, I was down 2-0, 40 love. I hadn't won a point yet. He had beat, this guy, he beat Hewitt. He beat Agassiz twice, 17 in the world. I'm on the place. I won the world. And I say to myself, if you, you, you could lose six Oh here in front of all these people. But I, in that moment I smiled and I'm like, Oh, well, you know, and I refocused, I wasn't hijacked by that thought. So you can have a thought 
And if you let that thought go, of course, you can put the car back on the road and it doesn't, it can be just like a, you know, a car drove by. Okay. And, and that's what you can learn. But if you don't, that thought will chain together. It'll instantly create the anxiety, the physical tension, et cetera, heartbeat, you get, you, you name it. And then you're um, playing safe and hate yourself. Okay. So now, but you could be like, no, I didn't have any thoughts. You know, there you are. It's five all third set. And all of a sudden just, you just get tight hearts pounding. You didn't really have a thought or you weren't aware of it, but the amygdala will, will sense danger. And it can, if you see a snake, if you don't like snakes and you see a snake, which happened last weekend, by the Did way, it? on a hike in Colorado, I turned the corner and just about to step on a rattlesnake. Jesus. And did you leap like 20 feet or what? Yeah, I bolted back the other way, even though like I'm Australian and, you know, deadly snakes. Oh, no problem. I've got this. Nah, I was out of there. <laughs> I remember at the ATP and when I was running, same, it was hot. And then I saw a snake. I literally, Michael Jordan had nothing on me. I was like, I mean, he he's like... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I was up and and but anyway, it's not like, oh, snake. I hate snakes. No, it was the visual cortex sees the snake. I'm up 30,000 feet with United Airlines, you know, and uh, and so we have that uh, that reaction. And then so our then our nervous system, our, you know, sympathetic nervous system is firing. So. So then you have to calm it down. And at that point, it may take a few minutes, by the way, to calm it down. It doesn't go away in a breath or two. It takes a few minutes if you're sympathetic, it's just jacked up. So um, the, the, you know, the thoughts affect your body, your feelings and your, your behavior. So we know that and it goes the other way. So to your point, it, it's reciprocal. If And then lastly on it, if you, because this is so common, I have to say it, you go into a match, an event, and you feel nervous. As you know, you feel the butterflies. The best in the in the in the game are like, yeah, of course, great. They're excited. People who don't have the confidence or experience are like, oh crap, my heart's pounding, or oh no, like, and then they have a negative thought about it, as opposed to like, yeah, of course, I'm I'm getting fired up. This, you know, I can't wait. Yep, and yeah, to your point this theme around self-awareness. So knowing what is your pattern of coming, you know, whether you need to reframe if the body is starting to, to change just to have that self-awareness to then go, okay, this means that I care. This means that I can be intentional. This means that my body is preparing for competition, all those beautiful reframes. Uh, so being self-aware of knowing what comes up first for you and your patterns, I think is, is the take-home message there. Would you say totally there's the self-awareness right and then you look at novak who you know it, he smiles you know he just, he gets tight and he and he and he's using it all the time it's like because it's so physically when we serotonin it releases serotonin immediately of perspective you look up at a palm tree or whatever a tree you've just expanded your vision because when we get scared we start going super narrow so, right that expanding your your vision relaxes your body it's mm -hmm. an inst so we can do things physically that can take it all down pretty you know pretty quickly okay so what about on the flip side then to that thought what do you mean by develop a pinpoint focus i know that you cover that in your mm -hmm. in, in your book could you tell mm -hmm. me what you mean by that 
Sure. So that's a relevant cue, right? I mean, the ball, the ground, the strings, the target, right? These are all, in fact, you know, 80%, you want to be externally, narrowly externally focused 80% of the time, right? As you know, right? So where we get into trouble is we're going internally too long in between points or whatever, after a play, make, making a mistake, could be in the boardroom and you, you know, you may, you said something and, and you, you ruminate over it and you're in the past, all that stuff. Yeah. You know, the, the, the ability to bring your focus to the task at hand is different than sort of be thinking like a deer in headlights that a car is coming and you're like, you're going to be eaten alive because you just missed that forehand. And now you're, you're very, narrow on the fact that that was a really bad mistake mm. it's going to cost you and a lot of people are staring at you right now mm. that's mm. that's a that's more of the primitive brain right but yep. the task focus is essential right yep hit yeah. into that neocortex part of the brain so that mm -hmm. you can control what you can control control the controllables beat around for years but it's still so so important Right. And that's so, and it's, tr it's easier said than done, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't right. It? You're out there because you know, especially if you're trying to close a match out in tennis or finish something, and then the brain goes, I have a player, he's top 250. He's going to be in the qualities of the open. He's doing really, really well right now, but he was, you know, he was up playing great. And then he goes up five, four and a little hiccup, you know, cause you're just, you're almost there. The finish line is just staring at you. Right. But the better you get at being like, you can have the hiccup. Maybe you play a tight point, but then you just shake it off and come back into the pocket again. You know, you don't have to get logged off and have to log back on, on you know, Wi-Fi, you know, sort of yeah. thing. But focus is so important, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. I want to touch upon one of the reasons I think that you've certainly been so successful and I've followed your career uh, is this notion that you still compete, right? So you still have experiences. For me, it, it's it's more in, in the golf world these days that I put myself under pressure. Mm -hmm. And so you're able to even, you know, apply the tools that you are teaching to others. So how important is that for a coach out there to still put yourself under pressure to perhaps even feel what your clients go through to some degree? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'll tell you, Emma, like as far as um, back to empathy and putting yourself in your athlete's shoes and other people's shoes and and not not coming from this ivory tower where you're like, you know, just just talk. You just need to talk better to yourself and, you know, don't get mad, you know, and it's like when you put yourself into moments that are stressful, you you remember, I mean, your nervous system is jacked up, you're you know, maybe you got, you know, insecurity, a little bit of doubt going on and you have to wrestle with those things. Right. So I think it, it does kind of pull, can pull a coach back into like, let me, let me slow down here. Let me really get to know my player. How, what's it like for them? What, tell me what it's like for you when you're in that moment. What do you, where, where do you feel the tension? What, what's your instinct? Uh, play it safe, back off the ball. And but I do think whatever it is they do, whether it's golf or, you know, uh, you know, pickleball, or um, I think there's a lot of value in that to not get too far away from the experience of the people they're coaching who are really wanting to win, really wanting to cash in on all the work they put in. 
So um, some coaches don't, you know, they're just naturally um, teachers first and coaches second, maybe. And so they're, they're really tracking this process. But I do think there's a tremendous amount of value in being in some scenarios that, that put you there. Yeah. So what's the difference between teaching and coaching? So I think teaching if uh, can be um, more geared toward the learner and is more, it feels to me, has more a little more emphasis on learning and even maybe science behind the learning. So it it might, whether that means it's a progressive a process that's methodical and thought out and um, matching the the time and the place of the of the student and where they are and it, I feel like it can take into account more aspects qualities of of the learner. I think coaching, uh, while certainly overlaps with with being a teacher, it can veer off in multiple ways in 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 motivate you know motivational punitive pressure the lego um demanding which is fine if if it's appropriate for the athlete they can handle it etc but i just think there there they are, there's a distinction there and the ultimate of course is merging them i think yeah 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 i i i agree with that for sure so speaking of merging the two, I know that one of your favorite topics to talk about is optimal communication. So I'd like to know what that means to you and if you could share who's somebody who, you know, has influenced your the way that you communicate. Like how did you learn how to to optimize your communication. Of course, we don't always get it right as well. So I'm not yeah. saying it's it's easy to do. Yeah. So what does optimal communication mean to you and who impacted you the most in this area? Thanks. Yeah, no, I appreciate that question. I think it comes back again to the curiosity and the empathy, um, hum- humility. Um, my dad, for sure, like to a fault maybe, but he, he, if he meets you, you will not leave that room before he knows your entire life story. <laughs> you will, you'll have to sneak out, you know? I mean, like he'd all already love you. You know, you're, you're, you're fun. You're smart. You're, he would be like, and he, and he wouldn't really let you out unless you asked him follow questions. He won't talk about himself, which is, so I think I, he modeled and, and so many people really love my dad. You know, he's, He's genuinely curious. I mean, he, I, Uber drivers, he's gotten every Uber driver's life story. Literally, he should have written a book. He's 90 now, but he could have written a book about the, it's, it's a melting pot of America. I mean, it's incredible. This one, I, I'll, I have to go off, off topic for a moment. I, I, he gets out of an Uber. He comes to visit me like last year here in, in Marin, he gets out of the Uber and the Uber driver gets out of the car, like excited and, I love your dad. He gives my dad this hug. He gives me a hug. Like, so I think I got that in terms of just, I'm genuinely interested in people. I, um, I really want to know. And it's, so the conversations are easy and the people appreciate it. I think 
people like to talk about themselves. Let's be honest. Yeah. People like it. If there's an interested person, they want to, you know, mm. and that's why there's like, what, you know, one therapist for every nine people in Marin County, I think in America now, I don't know what it is, but, but people, people it's need to connect and belong. And so communication to me is, is, is a genuine interest in, in people and keeping ego tame and a little bit out of the, it's, it's not the point, you know, obviously we, you know, everybody needs a healthy ego to be successful and, you know, you need to want to produce and be successful and maybe more because you want to master something, which I feel is optimal, but then just because you want to get here and there and all that stuff, which is fine too, right. To achieve, but hopefully it includes, you know, people and collaborative and it sort of feels connected and so forth so that optimal is really about connection and curiosity and all that yeah 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 well uh shout out to your dad <laughs> yeah thanks i love that i'm i'm a i'm a little similar to your dad with when i get in an uber <laughs> i yeah. often know the the person's life story when i get out so uh so and those listening if you ever want to practice your questioning skills it's, it's a great opportunity at a at a social party just start asking as many questions as you can it's a great way to improve your your curiosity in uh how to ask questions uh so well, also stunned emma just on that point like that i'm surprised you know more people don't really drop into the curiosity more because it's enjoyable and it creates good energy so anyway i just want to say yeah. hopefully this is useful for folks yeah to think yeah. about this is this is yeah. again what the the podcast is all about. What I want to finish on is this concept of uh, I really want to win or I really want to close this deal, and the more I want it, do I push it further away? Could we finish on that one? <laughs> yes, my you're right into my lion's den there. Yeah, this is the conundrum of the world we live in, mm -hmm. certainly the sports world we live in, business, you name it, because we have an outcome we want. We have a result we want. Badly. For whatever reason. I want, huh? it, I want it badly, Jeff. I want and, this and so it, bad. So bad. So bad. So bad. And, and, and there, there, come, there comes the terrorist hijacking the plane, and she's just like, oh, no. Yeah. So, I mean, I have to just say when I got more connected to gratitude and a missed forehand, if I, if I, if a missed forehand or a lost match or set the, it was the worst part of my day that, you know what, like, it's a pretty damn good day. You got life by the tail. I remember Christopher Reeve, Superman, who was paralyzed at third. I was 30 years old and he fell off the horse and I was on a ventilator. Right. And that's when I, for whatever reason, whatever I was doing, it just stuck, it stuck with me. Superman is now in a wheelchair. And I thought, and I'm playing tennis. I was playing well. And I just gratitude really struck me as being important. And that while we want to win, we want to make more money or you want to, you want what you want higher UTR, better college, that the way you're going to get it, they increase the probability that you'll get the thing you want so bad 
is by, as you said earlier, Emma, focusing on what you have control over, coming back to the task, coming back to mastery. And can you, how loose do you want to play? How aggressive are you willing? How willing are you to miss a forehand or, you know, a free throw and come back and reset and do it again mm. without missing a beat, without missing a beat. So commitment. So to me, um, it's, it's, it's coming back to mastery and engagement and, and the focus. And then guess what? The great, greatest irony of all is you get more of what you want without directly seeking it. So I know it's such a, it's kept me in business for a long time, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> yep. commit to that intention. I know I've listened to you talk in previous podcasts. I know we didn't take a deep dive into that, but that's really what you're saying at the end of the day. If I'm going out to play that match, commit to an intention that's within your control and be stubborn, be relentless in that, in your commitment to that intention. Uh, so listen, uh, we, we have to wrap things up, but it, it's been such a pleasure, Jeff, talking about self-awareness, empathy, curiosity, belief, uh, and, you know, humility came up a lot as well today. So let's check our egos at the door. And Jeff, thank you for being on the coaching podcast. Emma, it's wonderful talking to you. I look forward to doing it again. You're doing great work. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And thank you, everybody else, for listening. The Coaching Podcast is sponsored by Transition Coach for Athletes, a global coaching, mentoring, and U.S. college sporting scholarship placement service. The service helps athletes navigate the often challenging world of choosing your best college fit while maximizing sports performance. Visit www.transitioncoachforathletes.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating review on your podcast listening device. And don't forget to tell a fellow coach about the show. The ball is in your court to take action and enjoy your coaching. <laughs>